And the Oscar goes to... The Shape of Water. Welcome, and thank you for listening. I'm Zach King, and after a nearly two-year-long hiatus, and the award goes to is officially back. A podcast that breaks down each Best Picture winner from this century's Academy Awards. Last time, Luke and I went on an emotional coming-of-age journey with Chiron in Moonlight. This time, we're falling in love with the fish man in the shape of water. I do bring a bit of sad news, and that is I won't be joined by Luke on this particular pod. As you know, Luke and I are both in the education profession, and Luke has climbed the ladder this past year into an administrator role, and sadly, he did not have the time for this one. However, I brought on a work colleague and a great friend who has the same passion for movies that Luke and I have to, that Luke and I have to pinch hit on today's pod. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you all to another Zach, Zach Holtoff. Zach, I can't thank you enough for agreeing to do this with me, and in the nearly three years you, you and I have worked together, I've really enjoyed not only talking movies with you, but kind of picking your brain on what you consider great cinema and the actors that you really enjoy watching. Yeah, I appreciate the invite. Um, I, um, I love movies. Uh, I don't have the, uh, maybe the depth of knowledge you do, but I, uh, I do love more than just uh, being entertained, I love watching how they're made and 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 thinking um, uh, about movies a different way than just a standard thing. Um, one of my first memories of being of movies is I had a my, my first family vacation was was in Florida. The first day we get there, I'm probably five, maybe four, and I'm rip raring to go to the beach, and uh, a storm rolls in first thing in the morning. Stays there all day, so I don't get to go out of the hotel. The next morning, about three o'clock in the morning, I wake up with a stomach bug, which was uh, another terrible go after a beautiful day. And uh, my stepdad, I started feeling better that afternoon. My stepdad takes me to see Karate Kid, which enthralled me is at that age. And <clears throat> as we walk out of the theater, the, the 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 clouds were like the brightest red I've ever seen. I've never seen a color like that, and it, it was kind of a a crazy experience of walking out of the movie in the world, making me kind of mimicking my feelings about the exhilaration of the movie. So that's, that's kind of captivated me ever since. And, and that's where my love of movie started. What a great memory to share there with a eighties movie, like karate kid, a movie I also love. And uh, I will say for our listeners, Zach's being modest. He definitely has a very deep knowledge of film and especially film talent. Uh, but also, y'all, for the first time ever, ever, we have a third co-host on today's pod, of another very special guest. It's my own younger sister, Scout Nabholtz, another huge fan of cinema and Oscar-worthy movies and uh, a sister that I grew up with watching movies with. And uh, Scout, I can't thank you enough for joining me on this pod. You've been a longtime fan of this pod. So thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much. I am a longtime fan of the pod. Um, I'm honored to be here. Zach and I have, I don't know, been watching movies as long as I can remember. And I know that um, anytime I look over, if we're watching a movie, we both have the like IMDb trivia up, trying to get all the knowledge we can on it. You know, anyway, I'm looking forward to hear what you guys have to say about this, uh, this movie. Always makes me proud when you tell me about IMDb triviaing a movie because she's right. Great knowledge there. Every but time. 
we get to the movie as a scout alluded alluded to the shape of water it, it wins this year and we always start off with our reflection uh what we just kind of what we thought when we first watched this movie i'm gonna go ahead and go first so you know for me guys shockingly this is just a film i strongly disagreed with the academy as far as why did they give this best picture there i mean there's just no way um i hadn't even seen this movie at the time of the oscars when it won that when it won the competition but i knew immediately given all the other films i'd seen that were nominated not all of them but the majority and then a lot of the snubs we're going to talk about there's just no way a movie about a fish man falling in love with a woman could be considered the best of this year given the competition so a month later, I watched the movie and my thoughts and suspicions were confirmed. And I'll say this. I love Pan's Labyrinth. I really do. That's a Guillermo del Toro film, like one of his first movies. I think it's fantastic. And it really delves into the fantasy and surrealism that he likes to mess with. But this movie, the premise did nothing for me. And I think, you know, Michael Shannon, Jenkins, Richard Jenkins and Octavia Spencer give good performances and even the lead, uh, Sally Hawkins, is solid playing a deaf woman or a mute woman. But beyond that, the, the concept behind this film is just ridiculous. I, I can't understand how it won over Academy voters, given the other superior films. And I just want to reference, you know, Luke said back on the Birdman pod that 2014 was one of his favorite years in film. And then on our last pod, the Moonlight pod, he said that was his favorite year ever in film. So 2016, I would argue luke when you listen to this that this year is stronger than 2014 and 16 and in my opinion it's a top three year in movies of this century so far of the 21st century i've had i have 2007 as number one 2019 as two and this holding up the third spot so given that hot take and bold statement i don't know how shape of water won okay I'm echoing the same sentiment as Zach. Um, I'm confused as to why this was best picture, um, especially given the competition. I don't know if I would call it one of the best years in films, but that's just my own opinion. I'll say I really liked the cinematography aside from the actual creature. I didn't think that that was super well done and maybe I'm ignorant on how difficult CGI might be, but I feel like I saw cooler creatures in like the first Harry Potter movie. But anyway, and speaking of Harry Potter, it was giving me a lot of Harry Potter vibes on the early scenes. I don't know something, it just, the colors and all kinds of just screamed Harry Potter. But for me, the most enjoyable part of the film was Richard Jenkins, 100%. The rest of it was too long, too boring, weird, unrelatable. And um, anyway, I would just, I don't understand what the Academy was doing when they chose this one. It seems like there were a lot better choices out there than this particular one to me. Yeah, for me, Del Toro is always, he's extremely tricky because what he puts on the screen is always interesting to look at, always. I've never, it's, he obviously understands what kind of tone he wants to do. Like. It, Movie, watching one of his movies always makes me feel a certain way if I can stay awake. Um, but And he gets great performances out of his actors. But I've never really dove into a Del Toro movie while I was enthralled the whole way. Um, 
with a couple of small exceptions, uh, but they aren't the shape of water. Uh, I think he was going for something here and he accomplished what he accomplished, but it was not to me the best movie of the year. Um, it was good uh, as far as the, the visuals and the acting, but the story just was, I mean, I don't mind stuff being out there, but the story was just not to my liking. I do, one movie I do like of Del Toro's is his newest movie, Nightmare Alley. And I, I've talked to you about it, Zach. I surprisingly enjoyed it. Um, and I don't know if that's because I'm a huge Bradley Cooper fan or not, but um, it, again, he does the same thing with Nightmare Alley as he sets the tone and the mood is very clear. And I'm always impressed by that. The guy is obviously a great filmmaker. He's just not the filmmaker for my taste. Um, so, yeah, that's my take on on Del Toro and The Shape of Water. Strongly agree with that, Zach, and you as well, Scout. Uh, his style is just not really for us. Um, definitely got the Harry Potter vibes, too, on this film. And I do need to revisit Nightmare Alley. I only watched about the first 30 minutes, Zach. But Luke also enjoyed that film mainly based off the strength of Bradley Cooper's per performance, who we are big fans of on this pod. Shocker. Uh, but here we go, guys. We're going to get into kind of the details of the film as far as our director, who is also our writer, the cast, cinematographer, uh, how it did at the box office, its number of nominations at the Oscars, total wins, and just kind of historical perspective compared to other years. So it premiered at Venice Film Festival in August 31st, and then it goes wide December release. So December 1st release, kind of one of those late on the Oscar ballot, Oscar voter mind pushes, if you will. It's got a budget of only $20 million, given the production design and the CGI you get in it, the visual effects, which is kind of impressive to me. Uh, going for that period look of the 50s at the box office y'all it does 195 million it makes only 63 million stateside but 131 million worldwide how do y'all feel about how much money it made at the box office because frankly i was kind of shocked this movie made that much money i have no idea how that happened I just I don't know how that happened. People must have been really interested in maybe they cut the trailer super well. I don't personally remember watching the trailer, um, but maybe they cut it really well and it just grabbed people right off the bat because there is simply no way word of mouth didn't tank this movie between August and December. I'm just so confused, I guess. Is Strongly agree. <laughs> uh, to me, this this. This movie definitely tracks better for an international audience because Del Toro is such a visual storyteller. I think you could, as a foreign language film, you know, I'm sure they, they it's been dubbed, but you can kind of track the whole movie with your eyes. Um, you know, one of your characters is mute. You know, that's that's that doesn't hurt either. That So it has to be a visual movie. Um and I think that's got to be the main reason. Now, $63 million domestically is surprising to me, and that's probably uh, – a lot of it has to do with – well, I wonder how much has to do with the fact that it won Best Picture, like how much was after the Oscars. Um, and, of course, it getting a nomination – what, a do nominations late, late January, early February? 
That's yep. probably half. Yes, that's after that nomination. That's a good point, Zach. That it via word of mouth after the best picture when it likely made a lot more money. And I agree. It is a extraordinarily visual movie. He's a great visual storyteller. And that really does connect with him being a Mexican director with international audiences. But here, here y'all is where it gets really weird for me. It received 13 nominations at the Academy Awards, which is the second most of all time. Only 10 other films have received that many. It only wins four, best production design, shocker, best original score, which I really didn't enjoy. I, the, I can, the, I can. Yeah, give go ahead, Scout. I was going to say, yeah, I, I can. The score was really, I thought, really beautiful and, and it right. was visually compelling. And then so, he wins so best director. So uh, Del Toro follows up Alfonso Curon and uh, Alejandro and Inaritu, uh, two other Mexican directors who had previously won. Uh, at the Oscars as well for Best Director and Best Picture, and then he wins Best Picture. This is the second fantasy film ever to win Best Picture after Lord of the Rings Return of the King. I thought, you know, even though we don't like this film, I thought that was a cool detail. And like I said, yes, he's the third director from Mexico to win uh, Best Director. Any thoughts, Zach, on it receiving this many nominations scout did point out yes the score is beautiful and the look we've talked about the visuals are outstanding it's shot really well but 13 noms i mean it got uh an, michael shannon get, didn't get an acting nom but it got a best actress nom for sally hawkins as the lead richard jenkins gets a supporting and octavia spencer gets a supporting yeah that's um I mean, some of it's got to be costume design and stuff, too, I, I imagine. Not that those are lesser uh, nominations, but uh, I, has anybody ever won an Oscar for a Del Toro movie? Acting? I mean, a nomin yeah, acting. No, acting not runs. not that I can think of, no. Yeah, so that, that's, uh, that tells me a lot about his style. Um, uh, it, despite the visuals being very different, he reminds me of... In Yuritu, right? It's very, it's a very different type filmmaker, and that must be. Uh, I mean, that must come from their Mexican heritage because uh, was it Curion? Is that how you say his last name? Yeah, Alfonso Curion. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's much more uh, in line with American the, the American style as far as, but he is very different too. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, I'm surprised. Uh, I'm not surprised by the best director in the main categories because production, production design, this movie is beautiful to look at. Uh, and the score is great. And Del Toro is just interesting enough to I can totally get behind a best director nomination uh, or, or and win. Um, but best picture, it just it, it baffles me, especially it really is compared to what else it's nominated against. Like there are so many huge movies this year that are, that are Oscar worthy winners. Uh, so the nominations doesn't surprise me, but the, the, uh, the number of nominations does, you know, um, but you know, it's a, it's an interesting movie. Good point. Good point. That does bring us to our writer director, Guillermo del Toro, Mexico zone. Um, I wrote that he's a director that does possess an unbelievable, unbelievable imagination, which obviously shines through in his films. He's most known for Blade Two, 
Hellboy 1 and 2, Pan's Labyrinth, which uh, Luke and I have talked about on previous pods, Pacific Rim, and then he kind of delves into the more serious films, albeit still heavily influenced by fantasy with Crimson Peak, kind of his take on a horror film with uh, Jessica Chastain, and then he, he did this film, and then this year, as Zach mentioned, he had released Nightmare Alley, which was a Best Picture nominee, and I believe Bradley Cooper got a Best Actor nom for it. I, I could be wrong there, but either way, it was heavily lauded film as well. Uh, I think his, his imagination, his ability to bring his storytelling to life visually is second to none. It's, it's just I don't like many of his movies, sadly. Um, I did want to mention, because Del Toro is a writer-director, another writer-director who has some odd movies, but I really enjoy them a lot more. That's Robert Eggers. Um, he just released The Northman, which Luke and I went and saw last night. So shout out to that movie. It's definitely a compelling, violent take on Viking mythology and a Viking story. If I were to describe it, it's Braveheart meets, I don't know, Kingdom of Heaven. It's pretty brutal. And But anyway, he, his other two films are The Witch and The Lighthouse uh, with Robert Pattinson and William Dafoe. And I, I just love his filmmaking style and his, his movies, and they're definitely really, really weird. So if any of y'all have seen those or um, if our listeners haven't seen those, I highly encourage you to. Sounds good. I just ran upon an interesting fact, too. Uh, Del, uh, you talked about Lord of the Rings and the fantasy win for uh, this movie. He actually was a screenwriter for the uh, Hobbit movies, which I found interesting. I did not realize that that Guillermo del Toro wrote on the Hobbit trilogy. Yeah, that's yeah, that's correct. Uh, awesome. Not uh yeah, yeah, I know you were talking about Eggers for a minute there, but yeah, so that makes a little sense. Like he lives in, you know, uh, the arena of those filmmakers or, you know, the people that probably a lot of the same people I bet worked on both movies. Be my guess. You're absolutely right. I'm sure they share all share that wheelhouse of uh, production talent. Um, I'm going to talk about our cinematographer real quick, Dan Lawson. Uh, he's a pretty talented guy. I think we can agree based off this film and the recent Nightmare Alley. He started collaborating with Del, Del Toro since Crimson Peak. Uh, he mostly did horror films and thrillers before that. He's a two-time nominee for this film and then the recent uh, Del Toro Nightmare Alley. He's done two John Wilk, John Wick films, both the sequels. So if you've seen those or a fan of those, they're, they're a fun watch, especially the original. Uh, I think he's very talented, just kind of based on bringing that 1950s period look to, to life in this film. Crimson Peak was a period film, and then Nightmare Alley was a period piece. So he's just got a clear command of lighting uh, in unison with the production design on his films. Yeah, the 50s can come across like kind of campy if it's done wrong, but this guy did such a good job making it feel like you were in it. To me, it's like all the parts of it were there. Great cinematography, great, you know, um, score and stuff, but just didn't come together right. I think just because I thought the plot was so bad. Anyway, sorry. A great point. The 50s definitely can look campy, as we've seen on a lot of TV shows and horrible movies. 
Okay, this brings us to our cast, y'all. And, uh, you know, I'll start off with our lead, Sally Hawkins. She's a British actress that burst onto the scene with her performance in Happy Go Lucky, a Mike Lee film, uh, a film that supposedly she should have been nominated for. She has two nominations in her career, uh, Best Actress for this film, and then in Woody Allen's Blue Jasmine, she gets a nom, which uh, Kate Blanchett ended up winning for. I honestly haven't seen much of her work, but from, from what I've read about her, she's like most British, British actors. She's talented and classically theater trained, which, you know, that's just the norm with them. They can really take on the accents and really dive into the roles. Yeah, I thought she she was she was good in this movie. I, again, I'm, I, I agree with most of, most of what you said. I haven't seen her in much, um, but uh, I mean, she definitely added to the movie. She didn't take anything away. She, although I would say that she was overshadowed. I thought Jenkins and Shannon uh, and the and the monster the monster deserves some credit here. Uh, you know, uh, maybe didn't overshadow her, but were, were the were the center of the of the of the scenes that she shared. I agree. She was super compelling to watch though, especially for somebody who plays a mute, you have to be able to, you know, be expressive without being too much. And she, she navigated that pretty well. I I think. Absolutely. I agree with that. Her act, her acting was, you know, despite those limitations was really good. Zach, why don't you tell us about the outstanding Michael Shannon? Well, um, this, this guy's one of my favorite, I, I dare say character actors, but I think he is, and that's not a, 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 a you know, a negative against him. Um, this guy is, I thought he did great in this movie. You, you, you don't like him and that's the purpose. And Michael Shannon is very good at playing somebody you don't like. Um, uh, I thought that it, he basically, you know, the, the most satisfying part of the movies at the end and it's when he's disposed of. Um, but I mean, he has a great, you know, he, he's, he's racking up a crazy career and it, the guy works like nonstop, you know, they have to pay him overtime or something. I don't know. But, um, you know, I think of him when I think of Michael Shannon, I think of, you know, he's got two Oscar noms, revolutionary road, which he was fantastic in. And uh, Nocturnal Animals, which regrettably I have not seen yet, but I've heard it's fantastic. His performance is fantastic. When I think of Shannon, it's really uh, the first time I ever really noticed him was in Boardwalk Empire. As a, he's a prohibition officer, and he is so so good. I, that show gets uh, is kind of frowned upon now, just because it it was trying to be the Sopranos. You know, a lot of people said it was trying to be the Sopranos and stuff, but I really thought he carried that movie the first season. Um, even though you had all these stars in it. And then I really, I think he shines in his major, major roles that he's in with Jeff Nichols films. Take Shelter is my absolute favorite Michael Shannon performance. Arkansas's and own then, Jeff Nichols. That's right. And then Midnight Special, and I caught this later, but this is like one of his first performances was in an independent, Jeff Nichols' first movie, Shotgun Stories. And the guy just, I mean, he wears it on his face the whole movie. It's just unbelievable. Um, and he's like, I looked at 
what he has coming up, he's just nonstop working. I mean, so there's sure to be some new favorites coming out or new great Michael Shannon performances. What about uh, what about y'all? What do you think your favorite Michael Shannon performances or, or ones I'm, I didn't talk about? I'm like you, Zach. I love Michael Shannon. I think he's he is a character actor, and that is not a negative. That means he can jump into any type of character with range. It's incredible. Uh, honestly, his best work is in Nocturnal Animals, which I urge you to watch. But I just want to point out another role. He's uh, the the he's in Eight Mile. He is Eminem's uh, mom's like deadbeat boyfriend. And oh he, my gosh, yes, yeah, that's he, right. He yeah, kills that's, it. That's so, so great. yeah, the range of Michael Shannon is incredible. And another random fact, uh, he was or trivia. He was cast originally in HBO's The Current Winning Time as Doctor Jerry Bus, but. Uh, he couldn't get over the fourth wall break in in the show, so that's you know that's kind of why they had to replace him. But uh, Scout, uh, what do you think of Michael Shannon? I've hardly seen a character actor who can evoke such. I, I hated him. I hated him in this movie. He is so good at playing the bad guy, and I totally agree. Nocturnal Animals was incredible, and I don't. I'm not super good at at pulling, you know, um, favorites on the spot like this, but he was definitely, that might be my favorite, Michael Shannon. He was just superb in that. And like I something about his face, it just makes me hate him. But he is, he's like, I don't know. Well, in that movie, for once, and, he plays a good guy. That's probably why it's our favorite. Yeah, that, great yeah. point. Yeah, that's Scout, probably. Tell us about our favorite stepdad, Richard Jenkins. Oh my gosh, Richard Jenkins. Um well, his performance in this particular film, Circling Back, was my favorite part of the movie, 100%. He's an amazing actor in this film in particular. I think his um, you know, quest for companionship is super relatable and, and helped the movie just, I don't know, kind of make you feel warmer where it, where it needed it. And um, definitely comedic relief. His, he, his way he can just, I don't know, I just, I thought his friendship with Eliza was really wholesome. Um, I bet, look, I'm, during that time too, it was probably super common for closeted men like that to have female friendships of that nature. And I just, you know, I, I just love a gay man and, and he just really killed that role for me. Um, I love it when he stood up for um, the black people when they came into that horrible bigots little pie shop. Um, Oh, and when he um, when he told her not to worry about um, him eating the cat, like because he was a wild creature and that's what he was, he he had that sort of insight after he had just like scratched the shit out of his arm. And I I feel I feel for him in that. He was he was my favorite character in the film, hands down. And Richard Richard Jenkins, I could just probably write him a love letter, but we used to call each other and quote stepbrothers and just hang up. We would, we would quote Richard Jenkins and then just go about our days. If I had a dollar for every time we've quoted him from stepbrothers in particular, we'd be, you know, filthy rich. And he's been in so much over the years. And it seems like 
he is a supporting actor in much of that, but it doesn't feel like that. It just feels like he is just an institution to whatever he's um, in. And if I see him in any film, I just automatically like that film at least a little bit more. He's just one of the best actors, I think, of that generation, maybe. What about you? Very well said, Scout. Um, yeah. Uh, I everything I've seen him in, he's incredible. oh, burn after reading like that's come that's on. honestly. Come what on. I, I was gonna bring obviously him his performance in Step Brothers is my favorite by far. He he kills it, and uh, yeah, he's great at comedy. And as you just said, burn after reading a Coen Brothers movie, I've talked about on this pod. He's incredible in that too. Yeah, I adore him, and I think, but I think he's an actor of serious range because when I've seen him do dramatic roles as well, I mean, he he got a, a best actor nom for a dramatic role. I think his first for a film called The Visit. I think in like '07, and he's incredible in that. So just yeah, The Visitor. It was yeah. It, I want to say we watched that last year. It was awesome. just because of him, and yeah. It, yeah. 100%. The talent, right? The talent. It's undeniable. But uh, Zach, what's your favorite Richard Jenkins performance? I think it's Set Brothers, same as me. Oh, how could it not be? How could he may be the star of that movie, despite uh, um, Will and and God, what's it? Uh, I can't uh, think of the Jerry. Oh, gosh, yeah, why, Jerry? Uh, or, He's on the guy who's playing Jerry Bush. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. confusing. Uh, Scott, what's his name? The other guy on Step Brothers. This I, this is ridiculous. Well, I almost said Dale. John but... C. Riley. Yes, yeah, Dale John is C. Riley. Never again. <laughs> John C. Yeah. Riley. Uh, you know, Zach, so I was gonna say that too, but I I didn't want to say it. So thank you for saying that. Richard yeah, Jenkins yeah. steals that movie. I, I think he I think he does. I think it doesn't work without him. Uh, really, I'm serious, and I love that movie as well. But. Uh, Richard Jenkins really sets the tone for the whole thing. And, and they, I don't know. I just love him. Uh, Burn After Reading is a great performance. I just saw, uh, which will, which is intriguing. He's doing a TV miniseries coming up. They're filming it right now. It's uh, a Ryan, was it Ryan Murphy who does all those? Uh, yeah, he's the Ryan American Murphy. Horror Story guy. Yeah, on Jeffrey Dahmer. And he's playing, and Jenkins is playing Dahmer's dad. Oh, wow. So, oh, that's right up, right up, right up my alley. That, Took the words out of my that sure is, that sure is appetizing. Ew, ew. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, Scout, tell us about the wonderfully talented, um, Oscar-winning Octavia Spencer. Well, I love her. Um, she's phenomenal. Um, she provided a lot back to this movie. She provided a lot of comedic relief like she always does, um, which I think was really needed for this film in particular. Um, I am a little weary of seeing her in the sassy, overworked black woman archetype. I think, you know, not that she's, um, I feel like even in the last couple of years, she's kind of broken out of maybe that a little bit, but I would just like to see it even more. But in this, in this movie, it couldn't have been more perfect. It just, she's wonderful. And I think she'll continue to do a lot. And hopefully as Hollywood kind of, you know, gets a little bit more, um, I don't know, evolved. She'll, we'll get to see her in other roles that um, really showcase her talent, which is immense, in my opinion. So. 
Absolutely agree. I mean, she won an Oscar for The Help, a movie that obviously has aged horribly, but she is excellent in. Um, I love her in Fruitvale Station playing uh, the mother in that film. She's brilliant in Hidden Figures, another movie I enjoyed. But I agree. She's just such a talented actress who's typecast far too often. And she does have this show that I think our mother really likes on Apple TV, um, where she's like a crime uh, she has like a cr- true crime podcast and she ends up investigating a murder or something. I don't know. Our mother said it was good. So maybe, maybe that's worth checking out. I'll say, you know, she's complex, but she has given me several good recommendations over the years. I, I checked that out. <laughs> I, I agree. Yes. Uh, moms are hit or miss, but sometimes they are very good. <laughs> Um, I'm going to finish off y'all with Michael Stuhlberg. Uh, he, he plays the Russian scientist. Well, Russian, what turns out to be a Russian KGB undercover scientist in this film. You know, I first saw Michael Stuhlberg performance in Danny Bull's jobs. That's a movie I, have uh, talked, I've raved about previously on this pod. He's such a talented, I would say character actor as well, because he's got such range in the variety of roles he's been in. Um, his first leading turn was in the Coen Brothers film, A Simple Man, which was a Best Picture nom we've talked about previously on the pod. And uh, shockingly, is one of the few Coen Brothers movies I have not actually seen. I've heard it's good, though. Um, I want to rave about Michael Stuhlberg on the recent Dope Sick on Hulu. Uh, he plays basically one of the main members of the Sackler family that, Sackler family that was re- directly responsible for the opiate crisis in this country. And it's just a very creepy, chilling performance. Like he almost goes Hannibal Lecter just as a CEO. It's super weird. But I would, I've recommended Zach watch that because uh, Michael Keaton's in it. Michael Keaton is in it as well, and he's fantastic. So, Scout, I think you would enjoy that show as well. It also has the other lead from Booksmart. I have heard so many good things about Dope Sick. Um, I want to check it out a lot. It do, Does it have a lot of, I don't know, I don't like to watch people like in really bad throes of addiction. Does it focus on the addiction it or does. more on the Sackler side? Yeah, okay. no, it goes oh, heavy it just into that. Sad. Yeah, it's yeah. very intense, very sad, but just the acting and it's unreal. Yeah, I'm going to check it out. Uh, I love, uh, I'll say a little bit about Stolberg. He is fantastic. This guy is, is, is always a hidden gem. And anytime he pops up in a movie, uh, he's in Boardwalk Empire too. Uh, not, not the sequel, but Boardwalk Empire as well. Um, and he plays uh, Arnold Rothstein, who he's the guy, if you don't know, that uh, the gangster boss who um, basically... Uh, are the ones that set up the 1909 World Series where the White Sox threw the World Series. He was the guy that was the, like the the mastermind behind all that, and he is fantastic. He play he doesn't play your stereotypical gangster. He's very subdued, and everything is planned out, and he's so good. Um, what else? He's on. He's been on Fargo too. I have not seen that. I know you're in the midst of watching all that. Yes, I am. I don't think I I just finished season two. I think he Scout would know it. He may be in season three uh, of Fargo. I'm not sure. Um, yes, he's yeah, third season. 
Perfect, perfect. And I, Fargo is so good. I, yeah, shout out to Fargo as well, Zach. I, I've recommended it to Zach. Just a great, great show in that Cohen Brothers vein. Uh, this brings us, but yeah, I also echo what Zach's saying. Just a unbelievably talented actor. I didn't know he's on Boardwalk Empire. That's something Zach has recommended I watch, and I'm definitely going to get around to it. So I've you know, heard nothing but great things about that show, and it has one of Scout and I's favorite actors, Steve Buscemi. So, but this brings us, y'all, to our IMDb versus Rotten Tomato scores. Are we over? Or are we under? I think this will be pretty quick and easy. The Rotten Tomato score was 92%. 92% of critics love this film. Its IMDb score, uh, maybe a little more realistic, a 73 Y'all, I'd give this about a 6.5, probably a 65% in the classroom. Um, I thought it was well made, but the story is, yeah, we've said everything we can about the story. Where are y'all at? Yeah, I would agree. I'm about the about the same, maybe maybe a tick higher just for the fact that it's so such a visually interesting movie. And the acting, we talked about the acting. It's weird because we talk about the acting is good. The visuals are good. And Del Toro makes interesting movies. And we're still not that entertained by it. And that's a a weird combo. You don't come across very often. But I have to say, yeah, low, uh, high sixes, you know, around seven, a little bit lower maybe. Yeah, I agree. I'm going Rotten Tomatoes uh 68 percent imdb i'd give it like a maybe a six and a half i'm with you all the parts are right it seems like it would make sense and like you said zach like be entertaining i was not so i'm those are my scores we're all in agreement there so all right here's where we break down the movie i'm just going to read through the plot and we can comment uh, when appropriate on certain scenes So Eliza Esposito, who was found abandoned as an infant with wounds on her neck by the side of a river, is mute and communicates through sign language. It's um, uh, it's 1962 during the Cold War. Esposito works as a cleaner at a secret government laboratory in Baltimore, Maryland, and lives a very routine life. Her only friends are her closeted next-door neighbor, Giles, a middle-aged, struggling advertising illustrator, and then her co-worker, Zelda Fuller. Uh, who is uh, who is black played by Octavia Spencer Colonel Richard Strickland played by Michael Shannon has just captured a mysterious creature from a South American river and has taken the creature to the Baltimore facility for further study curious about the creature Eliza discovers it is a humanoid amphibian and she begins visiting him in secret and the two form a close bond so I will say to y'all I thought the first 10 15 minutes of this film you know the look of it the music it got me I was into it and then I meet the creature and kind of like Scout said the creature just doesn't look that great or I don't know for a movie like this that original that's where it immediately started to lose me yeah it's very it's a very clear uh reference or uh um, i guess reference is the best word that i can think of right now to the creature from the black lagoon the problem is is uh or the problem that the the thing that i i noticed was that it looks like it hasn't been approved upon like it looks just like the the drawing if you look at the poster from then it looks exactly like that and this is obviously a, a thing of of 
appreciation for del toro so but yeah it was it was such a clear like oh this is what this is exactly who this is is so that was a little off-putting to me almost like uh the creature not so much but let's do something that uh piques my interest in a different way i guess well said zach that's basically how i felt with that opening sequence as soon as we met him like oh dear lord okay so from there basically the u.s government or these people at this laboratory they want to exploit the amphibian man for an advantage in the space race specifically so a general frank hoyt is eventually persuaded by strickland to bisect the the creature and a dr robert hofstetler who is secretly a russian spy named dmitry moskinov played by our wonderful michael stuhlberg he unsuccessfully tries to keep the amphibian alive for further study and is, but he's simultaneously ordered by his soviet handlers to euthanize the creature so when El eliza overhears the american plans for this amphibious man she persuades giles to help her liberate him Hofstetler stumbles upon Eliza's plot in progress and chooses to assist her, though initially reluctant, Zelda also becomes involved in making the escape successful. Um, you know, I'll say another thing that turned me off is kind of the sequences before this as Eliza is getting to know the creature. You know, she plays music for it and gives it eggs, and then all of a sudden they're in love. I just exactly <laughs> what is up really, with that? And why that did she teach him the word egg? Like, yeah. out of all the things that she could have taught him, it was egg. Well, and music, which I kind of get, but... Uh, I, no, I, I can... Just... The music thing, I, I can get behind. That's a, a special thing for a lot of people. That's that's great. It can bond people. The dancing, wonderful. The egg, and just... I'm with you. It all seemed like it was... Well, it was a really long movie. This part just... It drug out way too long for me. Well, yeah. it's And they were in love immediately based off those interactions. So I just, you know, that really also... Who are you to judge a creature's love? You're right, Zach. And, you know, you're right. I'm just going to shut my mouth on that and continue forward because, you know, it's, it's a special thing they got going in this movie. So, you know, uh, Elisa gets the creature back to Giles' apartment, keeps it in the the bathtub she wants to release it into a nearby canal when heavy rain will allow it to access the ocean you know uh strickland he interrogates eliza and zelda among others but he doesn't learn anything they don't crack you know back at the apartment giles comes home comes home to the uh the creature devouring one of his cats and it you know startles him and uh the amphibian man slashes giles arm and runs out of the apartment he only gets as far as the cinema downstairs before Eliza finds him and returns him to her apartment. Um, a little later, the creature touches Giles on his balding head and his wounded arm. And then the next morning, uh, Giles discovers his hair has begun growing back and the wound on his arm is healed. So pretty amazing the, the creature has those uh, capabilities. Um, and then Eliza continues to develop her romantic relationship with him that culminates in a sex scene with the creature um yeah. oh yeah yeah <laughs> by that this point i was obviously fully just not into this film <laughs> um, um i did appreciate scout will mention this scene later with giles um as far as uh him his hair growing back and being healed that is a very 
tender moment in this film that kind of makes you uh, like the creature more and see its abilities but you know we're thrust back into this love story with the creature and eliza and i'm turned off immediately from that tender moment <laughs> yeah me too that's same thing just just a beautiful cool moment where you get to see that okay this creature does have something going for it and then and then that so just <clears throat> what can you do the mind of del toro so from there general hoyt unexpectedly arrives tells strickland he has 36 hours to recover the amphibian man or his career and life will be over uh, meanwhile hofstetler is told he will be extracted from the u.s in two days Although the planned release date approaches, the amphibian, man amphibian man's health begins to deteriorate. Hofstetler goes to meet his handlers, and Strickland follows him. At the rendezvous, Hofstetler is shot by one of his handlers, but Strickland, in turn, not only shoots and kills both handlers, but also shoots Hofstetler, having realized that he is a spy. Uh, Strickler tortures the dying Hofstetler into revealing specifics on the team which broke out the, the creature, and Strickland is surprised to learn that El Eliza and Zelda are implicated. Uh, Strickland goes to Zelda's home and threatens her, but he's unsuccessful because her husband Brewster reveals that Eliza has the amphibious man. Zelda immediately telephones Eliza to warn and warns her to release the creature. An enraged Strickland ransacks Eliza's empty apartment until he finds a calendar note revealing where she plans to release the amphibian man. And this brings us to our final sequence, maybe the best of the film. We're at the canal. Eliza and Giles are bidding farewell to the creature when Strickland arrives. He knocks Giles down and shoots both the amphibious man and Eliza. The creature quickly heals himself and slashes Strickland's throat, finally killing Michael Shannon, our horrible bad guy in this film. Uh, as the police arrive on the scene with Zelda, the amphibious man takes El Eliza and jumps into the canal where he heals her. When he applies his healing ability underwater to the scars on her neck, they open to reveal gills like his. She jolts back to life and the two embrace. In a closing voiceover narration, Richard Jenkins conveys his belief that Eliza lived happily ever after and remained in love with the creature. Um, I will say I did enjoy Richard Jenkins' voiceover to end this film and begin this film. I really thought that was a nice touch, but that ends our extremely weird movie and we are thank god on to our favorite scenes uh luckily for a film like this we're all just gonna pick one scout why don't you lead us off yeah um one thing about the plot that i also <laughs> found anticlimactic but when um they're in octavia spencer's um character's apartment i just blanked on her name and her worthless husband like i wish she would have like maybe hit him or you know gave, gave him a little something back and she was it just felt like a letdown in there but maybe that was too like storybook of me to to hope for but no my i agree favorite, he, he my just, favorite he scene oh go ahead saying no i agree he just gave up the information away yeah, that was that was it. But my my favorite scene, kind of like you said, was when Giles realized that the creature had restored some of his hair. God, Jenkins, he just did such a good job. And then um, that his arm was healed. It, it gave us at least a little bit of interesting insight into the creature. And it was just kind of a sweet moment. But it gave me something I thought, hey, maybe he's going somewhere with this part of the plot. And, you know, quickly realized that wasn't the case. But still, that that was my favorite scene, I think. Absolutely a great one. Zach, what about you? 
Yeah, I have to say the the. I mean, we're ignoring the best scene of the whole movie. It's the uh, Pornhub version of Creature and Woman. Um, if it was animated, it would. I'm kidding. It's a joke. Uh, it, was, it was wonderful. <laughs> yeah, clearly yeah. the best part. Of, yeah, I've skipped over that one. Uh, yeah, I think the ending scene. It's hard to beat the. I mean, it was truly a climactic scene. Scene that you get the payoff, from, you know, uh, for everything and 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 the stories. The happy ending is in uh, flux, you know, when he shoots him. So uh, I loved everything about the end of the movie. Um, it took me a lot. It takes a, it takes way too long to get there, and uh, it's not nearly as if the whole movie would have been uh, as exciting as the end, or or leading up, building tension to the end. I, I think it would have been it could have really pulled this movie off from from my taste. Um, but then the end was really, I really did enjoy it as you did, Zach. Yes, that, that was my favorite scene as well. It's it's a good payoff. Like you said, it takes too long to get there. But Michael Shannon had to go down and they had to have a happy ending together after that excruciating love story. So we're on to our favorite quotes. And uh, Scout has a great one. And uh, I have one from the same person. So Scout, why don't you lead us off? Uh, it's not any surprise, but my favorite quote is from Giles when he said he would tell his 18-year-old self to take better care of his teeth and fuck a lot more. I just I just thought that one, that was probably my favorite. That was pretty funny. I laughed at that. Um, mine is also from him when he says, you know, he's a wild creature. We can't ask him to be anything else. And that's after the incident with his cat and his arm getting hurt yeah i mean that's hard to beat that. that that was my favorite as well you just can't uh you, you can't beat the delivery of that line and the and the everything about it really i mean i tried to try to think of a better one but that's that's what i came up with i kept coming back to that jenkins just has one of those voices that's you know great for voiceover great for narration great for you know saying anything i can just listen to him talk all day um do so, you guys I have a question about the plot. Yeah. Do do you guys think that her origin story, you know, being a baby by the river with the weird scars, and this might be like a, a very dense question, but do you guys think that she was somehow like that circled back or do you think that, that was just that's one of the fan theories that maybe she was a creature herself at some point and then went human or you know, who knows? It's yeah. the mind of Del Toro. What do you, you guys think though? Ah, Lord, I, I honestly, <laughs> I, it's hard for me to care enough. I think that it, it, there has to be some credence to it because Del Toro is such an intentional filmmaker. He doesn't do that as by accident. I'd strongly agree with that. Yeah. That's yeah. Okay. I could, it. I could see it. Zach always points out the obvious there. I like to make patterns. So I thought that would be ideal, but then sometimes I think that I wish films kit were a little bit more you know neatly packaged and just you know make stuff up but anyway i get it so we're on to our composer the score we all enjoyed the the score from behind this because i'll say it's from our pod alum alexandre desplat a french composer who man this guy is talented he's an 11-time nominee and two-time winner he wins for this film he also won for wes anderson's grand budapest hotel 
Um, Luke and I talked about him on the King's Speech Pod, King's Speech Pod another score that I thought was a lone bright spot in that film. His score for Siriana, I thought should have been nominated along with his score for Zero Dark Thirty. He's just immensely talented. He's always working. Scout mentioned uh, there this this movie reminded her a little bit of Harry Potter, the look and the music. Well, Alexander Desplat did a Harry Potter movie. He did Deathly Hallows, the the last film in that series. So, uh, a, a very talented composer. I'll, I'll bring up a quick story about him. Aaron Sorkin, great director, uh, writer of The Social Network. For The Trial of the Chicago 7, he played a piece of Desplat's music for his composer, and that's kind of what he wanted him to be inspired to make in the final scene of that film. I know Zach's seen that, the uh, courtroom scene, inspired the music, basically. Oh, yeah, I can definitely hear that. I can hear his his influence behind that. I thought the score was great. I mean... This guy's obviously uh, knows what he's doing and can and, and does a great job. I agree. Siriana's score was fantastic. Zero Dark Thirties, I enjoyed. Um, I can't. I mean, the Harry Potter movie is so canonized, kind of like um, Star Wars or something like like that. So it's hard to really um, pick anything like that. But he's very. Uh, He's a very accomplished guy. Uh, I'd have to go back and listen again to the King's speech because I can't remember that, but I'm sure it was right up there too. Yeah, it's a beautiful score. It's it's somewhat similar to this one, honestly. It has a similar sound, but it's beautiful. All right. Well, yeah, this guy knocked it out of the park with this one too. And he won an Oscar for it. So that brings us to casting cut, which we're going to skip because I just don't think there's any need to recast a movie this weird. I think they perfectly cast everyone for the film. And I mean, can y'all think of anyone different? I can't. Uh, I got one suggestion. Okay. Teen Wolf for the creature. (laughs) You know, it would have made it maybe a better, more relatable film. I mean, if the creature could have played some basketball, I mean, yeah, I can get behind that. So much more relatable. Um, I'm with you. Just the creature. The creature is the only one that we need to maybe get a, you know, someone new recast there yeah maybe so, maybe dobby it'd have been yeah, more fun with yeah. dobby. dobby oh my god yes <laughs> been perfect dobby we that have bring- the connection through that score guy so we do that brings us to the issues with the movie and we have a few um i made a few notes uh this is partly a joke partly no not uh, a movie about bestiality why was this made and then I, I said, could they have written a less weird movie if the intent was to give a voice to minority slash outcast people of 1950s, early 1960s America? And then my other suggestion, if they made the film about Eliza just trying to free the creature and not fall in love with it, I think I would have enjoyed the movie more. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, if the, the, the it almost the love story takes you out of it. Yeah, exactly. If it was more like an ET kind of Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's a good comparison. And yeah. not not so kid friendly, maybe, but yeah. Exactly. But, but more of an I escape that, story. Totally. Yeah, that's just that's kind of where I how I felt. Did, did y'all have anything additional to add on issues? No, beside the fact kind of I mentioned earlier, the score's good, the acting's good, the Everything, the direction is good. The cinematography is great. 
and I just, it's hard to understand how this doesn't seem to be a more watchable film. And that's the job of the director is to make it a more watchable film and the, and the producers. And I feel like that it could have been a, this could have been a real interesting film. It's all there. It just was something's wrong and it's hard to put my finger on it. Ruined it with that stupid love story. I think you've, you've said it, you summed it up best. Um, that brings us to greatest resume edition. So if we look at the director and some of the cast and they had to put down on their resume, what they were most proud of from their career, what would they pick? Uh, I think Del Toro undeniably would put this film just based on the fact that he won best director and best picture for it. Normally Luke and I lean towards that, but would y'all think of something different maybe for him? Um, what was it? Um, the, like the first fantasy movie that he made, I again, blanking on Pan's Labyrinth. Yes. Pan's Labyrinth. Okay. That's I almost called it. I almost called it bridge to Terabithia, but yes, Pan's <laughs> Labyrinth. I think that like sometimes, uh, directors might, you know, just have nostalgia tied to some of their first things before they got really famous and there was a lot at stake and that one was well received and wholesome so that's i agree i adore that film for the fact it's heavy fantasy but the message behind that film means so much more and and it's it's uh immersed in history as well just yeah and the impact of the ending of that film golly that's just such a good one golly i'm with you (laughs) so uh sally hawkins Oh, sorry. No, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I, I was going to agree with, I think this has got to be his, his best resume edition. Um, I do agree. It's not his best film that Pan's Labyrinth is probably uh, for me uh, that in Pacific Rim, I really enjoyed as an action movie. Um, I need to watch that. I hear it's pretty good. It's just, it's a fun movie. Uh, but um, yeah, as far as his resume, I don't see how you, you have to stay with shape of water. Exactly. I think yeah, I think it knocks Pan's Lambert off the off the most most important. Yeah, based uh, off the win. Those are definitely his first two. Yeah, um, Blade Two deserves some credit too. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> yeah. Sally Hawkins, uh, our lead. I would say this film for the fact she's nominated for Best Actress for this film, and it but and it does win Best Picture. Yeah, I'm going with that too for sure. This would be. Yeah, I, I agree. don't know. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, next, we have huh, our beloved uh, Richard Jenkins. Gets a, maybe a little bit harder. Um, what would y'all put down for Richard Jenkins as far as his greatest resume edition? Oh, man. Um, sidebar, Zachary, he was in Me, Myself, and Irene. He is, we, yes, and and he's anyway. in. Uh, there's something about Mary. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, I would my my first inclination. I'm sure you guys might agree is stepbrothers, but I yeah. just I don't know if he would want that on his official. Re- he probably had a lot of fun making it, given the cast. But um, I I just got to go for it. That's that's my pick for Step him. Stepbrothers. I'm with you. That's my personal. I think. Yeah, that's my personal favorite too. I think as far as resume, it's got to be the visitor. Yeah, and I think Burn After Reading too uh, deserves. Such a, yeah, such a good movie. Yeah, he he was in man. He's been in a lot of movies. He was in Spotlight. Although yeah, it's, it's just a voiceover. Um, 
Yeah, he's got he's in a lot of great movies. He is, and I mean it. A testament to his talent. He great, is great. Great directors want to work with him, and another great Step Brothers reference. So Michael Shannon. Oh man, this is hard, y'all. What do y'all have for Michael Shannon? This for me, this is hard because I. It's kind of like I want to lean my personal favorite film for his. But what what do y'all think? It's kind of just what I've been doing this whole time. Um, I'm gonna go. Um, no, no, nocturnal animals. That's that's what I was gonna go as well, Scout. Without having seen that, I would have to go with um, oh, what Revolutionary Road is his best performance, and another Oscar nominated performance of his. And I I agree, I I loved him in that movie, fantastic. Um, our and la- Take Shelter, uh, Take Shelter's up there. That that's that, perform- that watch movie. That. Not a whole lot of people watch that movie. In that movie, he he is just unbelievable in that movie. I mean, nice. really, like if that movie would have been distributed by by somebody by by a bigger uh, distributor, mm-hmm. I think he gets nominated for an Oscar for Best Actor because he is the lead in that. I need to watch it because Chastain is his co lead, and I I love her talent. And, the re- recent yep, Oscar winner, she's very good too. Yeah. Yep. Our last Octavia Spencer, the unbelievably talented Octavia Spencer, um, she wins an Oscar for The Help, obviously. What, but what do y'all think? Hmm. Um, hidden. Fi- I really liked her in Hidden Figures, but I just I, I really like that movie <laughs> overall. Um, so that's probably what I would say. I never. Did you guys ever watch um, Ma with her? I did the- watch Ma last. How summer. is it? She. It's not a good movie, but she is great in it. Oh, that's. No surprise. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious. Yeah. Average horror movie, but she's fantastic in it. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, I would say Hidden Figures. Hidden, her two best performances that, that I've seen, I admit I have not seen all of her work, but every time I see her, she's great. Uh, but The Help and and Hidden Figures, would Hidden Figures I would have above Help, but Hidden Figures is so good all around. That movie is just so good. I'm in agreement. Let's go Hidden Figures just because of the strength of that film. But now, y'all, we're into what Luke and I, what, you know, it was our favorite part, the competition, and then followed by the snubs. So there were nine total nominees in this year's uh, Academy Awards. So would y'all like me to lead us off or do one of y'all want to take the lead? Who wants to go first? Take it away. I will take it away. So I watched uh, this year. Call me by your name was nominated and I watched it a couple weeks ago. And, you know, it stars Timothy Chalamet and the recently uh, exiled, uh, you know, but it should have happened. Army Hammer from Hollywood. And I have to say they're both outstanding in this film. It's basically it takes place in 1980s in Italy where Timothy Chalamet lives. I believe he's 17. Army Hammer plays like a character that's 24. Uh, uh, they Essentially, they fall in love. And it's got great cinematography and great music behind it. And the performances are good. Army Hammer, spoiler alert, leaves at the end of the film, goes back to America and uh, gets engaged to a woman. So it leaves uh, Timothy Chalamet heartbroken, but that's kind of the premise, um, kind of a coming of age love story. And, uh, Chalamet gets nominated for it. I would say he probably deserved it. He's very, very good in the film. I'm a big 
big Timothy Chalamet fan in general. He had a fantastic year uh, in acting as far as this year in film we're talking about, 2017, uh, which we'll get into in a minute. The couple other films he was in that could have been nominated for this year, he was in two films that were nominated for Best Picture. So call me by your name. Um, I'm going to talk. I have not seen Call Me by Your Name, but I, it, it is on my long list of things to visit. Um, another nomination, a nominee was The Darkest Hour. This is a Winston Churchill biopic of his first years as prime minister, particularly over the time of Dunkirk and, and uh, the resignation of Neville Chamberlain. Um, it is a, as the Academy likes to do, they like to nominate. Uh, biographical real people uh, as uh, lead actors and Gary Oldman plays Winston Churchill this has a great cast Ben Mendelsohn who I love uh, Lily James uh, from uh, originally from Downton Abbey she's starting to get pretty big as an actress um, Kirsten Scott Thomas but it is a maybe a little overrated movie because I believe Gary Oldman does such a good job with Churchill I mean, his performance as Churchill is pretty unbelievable. Um, like he, the 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 movie ends the big climactic scene is we, you know, his, he has a big speech. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the land. You know, um, or in the air. Uh, and that scene right there probably is deserving of an Oscar. He does such a, a good job. And the lighting of the movie during that scene is pretty stellar. You don't notice it, but he's kind of isolated within the House of Parliament. Um, but it is. It is, I think, on um, Rotten Tomatoes, it had a 7.3, which is probably a little high, in my opinion. Um, it's just a little, it's, it's, it plods along really slow until the end. And uh, But overall, a great movie to watch just the fact, just to watch Gary Oldman's performance. Um, Definitely a, it's, maybe, maybe a career Oscar for Gary Oldman, but I'm with you. I, oh, yeah. I love I, Gary Oldman. I think Oldman so, too. Ben Mendelsohn, both tremendous actor. Yeah, but overall, uh, it's a it's a so so movie with a great performance. Scout, why Do don't you? you uh, I was going to say, go Scout, why don't you tell us about one of my favorites? Uh, maybe oh, not, maybe not yours, but I'll defend it. Lady Bird. Lady Bird. Lady Bird. Okay. An hour away. Less if you're driving fast. I went to graduate school there. Lots of smart people go to Davis. I thought Berkeley had to accept me. You and Miguel went there. I'm a legacy. Uh, not if we don't give money. And you get bad grades. What do you know about it? Meaning? Nothing. No, what are you implying? Nothing. You fucking racist. <gasps> I didn't say anything. I didn't put down my race. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they had no idea, Miguel. You were actually fucking evil. What is wrong with you? Go. Go to your room. I'm not fine. I didn't raise you like this. I don't have to go anywhere. I'm not going to a fucking university that's famous for its fucking agricultural school. And Miguel and Shelly, you'll never get jobs with all that shit in your face. I did not love Lady Bird maybe as much as everyone else did. And I don't know if perhaps I wasn't just missing the point, but seeing as how I had a pretty turbulent time with our mom at, at this particular point in my life that she was in, I just, I don't know what it was about it. I just didn't love it like everyone else did. It was, it was okay. And, um, you know, 
like I said, the struggle between her and her mom, the the class stuff like that, I understand. Basically, I don't know if you guys want me to to give a, a plot overview, but if I'm remembering, my, her mom was a nurse and her dad lost his job. So she was basically like keeping the family afloat and she's really opinionated and very independent. And, and so is Lady Bird. And they, like I said, there's this kind of class thing where she wants her to stay close to it's home for school coming yeah. of age story for sure exactly yeah and and i don't know i just something about it i didn't love but i mean i can recognize how it would have been nominated it was really widely i think acclaimed and i don't know i just didn't love it as much as everybody else did zachary okay is the one who told me to watch it we watched it together oh yeah we did okay and you faked liking it at the time so i I don't think I did. <laughs> Listen, obviously. Sibling trouble. Sibling. You know, <laughs> Listen, y'all. Obviously, I wanted Scout to talk about the film being the woman, but I will say I adore this film because I think Greta Gerwig is a fantastic writer and director and actress. And also, Sorcerer Ronan is one of my favorite actresses. I think she is just so talented. And the reason I love this film is because I thought it was a it was your coming of age teenage drama high school story we've all seen but told in a different way and like shot in a different way and then the music was so good and the acting was so good i mean chalamet timothy chalamet's in it lucas hedges is in it beanie fieldstein's in it jonah hill's sister i, I just really really love the movie mind I, you i i wasn't a mom at the time that we watched true, it and true. i am now and i'll say that that kind of changes things on, yeah. on like a cellular level literally so i i think that if i were to re-watch it i might enjoy it more than i did at the time it's, it's pretty sure it's, i was like 100 months pregnant too when we watched that <laughs> yes <laughs> it, i get it my it, early 20s were um encompassed by an obsession with dave matthews band from about <laughs> oh, 2000 nice. to 2008 so this movie is like near to my heart just for the the fact that his song plays such a big role um zach i'm glad you've seen say. this movie yeah that's all i have to say about it though it's just i, I watched it only for the dave matthews band crashing to me yeah I respect which is that. a really creepy song by the way it is but i respect that it is <laughs> Okay, I will uh I'll talk about next man. Everyone on this pod should know by now I'm a massive Paul Thomas Anderson fan. But Phantom Thread was nominated this year and you would think I would love this movie. It's got Daniel Day-Lewis. It's his last performance before he retires from acting. I hated this film. I it was so boring and I just the entire plot and concept behind it, I thought it was pointless. Like, why would I care about it? Basically, Daniel Day-Lewis plays this famous fashion designer, dressmaker in 1950s, early 60s London, and he designs dresses for, you know, royalty and the rich, and he falls in love with a waitress who becomes his muse, and that's basically the plot. It's about their his career and their relationship and how it affects his career. Uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I love PTA. I hated this film, and I really, spoiler alert, didn't like Licorice Pizza, which I've told Zach about, his newer film. I, I've loved every movie he's made, but his last two films. So I'm really hoping he, you know, gets back to making something I enjoy just for my selfish sake. It's one of those, it's one of the, I have not seen it, but it is one of those films that uh, I, I too love, uh, uh, 
um, Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, I mean, one of my favorite movies of all time is the uh, There Will Be Blood. Mine as well. And I'm, uh, I have not seen it. And I, Daniel Day-Lewis is obviously one of my favorite actors. But uh, the combination of those two things, you would think would have, I would have pounced on it. But I have not. And uh, people I've talked to have a so-so view of the movie, which has made me not really dive into it yet. But I still am looking forward to seeing it, as I'm looking forward to seeing Licorice Pizza, which... Uh, based on your review, I'm going to be super disappointed if both of those movies suck. Man, I, I hope you can enjoy them just for the simple fact how much we like him. But yeah, they did not do it for me. Scout, why don't you tell us about another film that is near and dear to our heart? Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Crap about what? About the billboards, Mildred. Which is what I've come to have a word with you about. Oh, proceed. I know how hard it's been for you, Mildred this past year we all do and if there is ever anything that you need we will be there for you always but the town also knows what kind of a man William Willoughby is and the town is dead set against these billboards of yours took a poll did you father you know Mildred if you hadn't stopped coming to church you'd have a little bit more understanding of the depth of people's feelings I had more than a dozen people come up to me on Sunday. So yes, I took a poll. Everybody is with you about Angela. Nobody is with you about this. You know what I was thinking about today? I was thinking about those street gangs they have down in Los Angeles, those Crips and those Bloods. And I was thinking about that bunch of new laws I came up with in the 1980s, I think it was, to combat those street gangs, those Crips and those Bloods. And if I remember rightly, the gist of what those new laws were saying was, if you join one of these gangs and you're running with them, and down the block one night, unbeknownst to you, one of your fellow Crips or your fellow Bloods shoot up a place or stab a guy, well then, even though you may not know nothing about it. And even though you may have just been standing on a street corner minding your own business, what these new laws said was, you're still culpable. You're still culpable by the very act of having joined those Crips and those Bloods in the first place. Which got me thinking, Father. That whole type of situation is kind of like you church boys, ain't it? You got your colors. You got your clubhouse. You're, for want of a better word, a gang. And if you're upstairs smoking a pipe and reading your Bible, while one of your fellow gang members is downstairs fucking an altar boy, well, father, just like those Crips and just like those Bloods, you're culpable. Because you joined the gang, man. I don't care if you never did shit and you never saw shit and you never heard shit. You joined the gang, you're culpable. Oh, wonderful, 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 sad movie. Um, So Frances McDormand, I think, didn't she win Best Actress this year for this movie? She wins her second, yes. Yes, Mm, just so, so well-deserved, I think, too. Um, Basically, she puts up three billboards outside of this tiny town in Missouri. Um, She bought them so that um, because the police weren't doing anything about her um, daughter who was missing, you know, she presumed 
um, dead. And so she puts up these three horrible um, eye-catching billboards kind of asking the police what they're going to do about it. And it's just the way it unfolds is beautiful. It was shot beautifully. All the acting is good. It's got Sam Rockwell and Woody Harrelson. So I really don't know what else you could need out of that. But it's just such such a good movie. I um, well, I'll save that for for just a minute. But I really like this this one. Sam Rockwell and Woody are also nominated for it. Sam Rockwell wins his first actor. I'm in agreement with Scout. It is a devast like when I first watched this film. Uh, and this is for Zach, who is going to watch it eventually my jaw dropped at the dialogue as it progresses i mean there is just some biting dialogue in it it's there's some biting scenes in it too i mean it really gets at you and yeah yeah, it's i mean some people would say a lot of it's kind of a caricature of what america maybe used to be but i would argue a lot of it is, is pretty accurate and it's yeah it's a emotionally emotionally devastating film with some emotionally devastating performances for sure and the thing is it's not that far it's not far-fetched especially small town america that's just us growing up in the south we we strongly relate we do um zach why don't you tell us man about a heavyweight nominee from this year yes this movie uh weirdly kind of gets lost in the, the the resume of Christopher Nolan and this movie year, but Dunkirk, his story of the Dunkirk, oddly the second Dunkirk movie uh, of the year to be nominated. Um, it's about the British evacuation. It's uh, told in, obviously, with Christopher Nolan. It's going to be time-oriented, told in three different time periods, uh, one hour in the air over one week or one day uh, in a boat. And then over one week on the beaches of Dunkirk, and it melds at the end. This movie has uh, Harry Styles in it as uh, not a star, but a secondary. I mean, he's he gets a lot of screen time, but Mark Rylance and uh, Cillian Murphy are the two, and Tom Hardy are the two are the three big stars in this movie. You don't see Tom Hardy's face the entire time. Um, he's basically Bane in 1940. Um, uh, but it is a, it is a fantastic, fantastic telling of the story of Dunkirk that I did not think was possible, uh, cause it is not that interesting. It's an interesting story, but I don't know how he was going to pull it off on screen. And, uh, maybe probably in my opinion, the most underrated war movie, World War II movie of all time, despite it getting nominated for best picture and getting a lot of accolades, but, uh, just just love this movie. I show it in class all the time because uh, it's such a good depiction of what they really had to deal with in the, the on the weight of evacuation to basically save the, the Warriors if they don't get those guys off the beach, most likely. That's I, cool that you show that in class. I love that. I, it, man, I love this movie and bold take. I have it as Christopher Nolan's second best movie that he's ever made. I, I think this movie's perfection, how it's shot, how, what, what do you have as first? The dark Knight. Okay. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. I would probably have this as no, my favorite Nolan movie. It's, it's unbelievable. The acting in it, uh, Kenneth Bernal is one actor you forgot. Granted, he's not huge in it, but he still has a supporting role. 
uh how it's shot the music Hans Zimmer I think does the score like always I mean it's just yeah, and I will say that this, even though I really enjoyed the Shape of Water score, uh, mm. that's who won, right? Shape of Water. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. This is a much better score. This, this, this mm. score, basically the clock ticking the whole, this sets the theme the whole movie. Uh, it's unbelievable, and and that's got to be an Oscar snub there. This did not win best score. I agree, and yeah, it's just a movie. Like when you watch it, you're like man how they pulled that off and just like he like zach alluded to time is big with nolan and the the plot structure with time weaved in with our three central um locations it's it's just incredibly done when you see it come together at the end and realize what the time constraints were it's it's just an unbelievable accomplishment nolan i think finally gets nominated for best director for this film as well i think that's his only best director nom in his career which is atrocious but it is what it is um i'm gonna i'm gonna go next with get out come on oh, oh hey hang on chris chris i want to introduce you uh, to some friends. This is uh, David and Marsha Wincott, Ronald and Celia Jeffries, Hiroki Tanaka, and Jessica and Friedrich Walden. Too many names to remember, but hi. <laughs> Do you find the being African-American as more advantage or disadvantage in the modern world? <laughs> it's a tough one. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, man. Hey. Yo, my man. They were asking me about the African-American experience. Maybe you could take this one. Oh. Well, well. I find that the African-American experience for me has been, for the most part, very good. Although, I find it difficult to go into detail as I haven't had much desire to leave the house in a while. <laughs> become such homebodies yes 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 but even when you go into the city i've just had no interest the chores have become my sanctuary get out sorry man okay Get out! Yo! Wow. <laughs> so, Get Out, Jordan Peele's Get Out, um, starring Daniel Kaluuya, uh, starring Girls' Own, Allison Williams, a show that Scout and I adored for many years, starring the bad guy from Billy Madison, his name escapes me, <laughs> and starring, I believe, Catherine Keener. Man, I tell people about this movie all the time. It may, and I use this term loosely, it's my favorite horror movie of all time. And it may not fit into a typical definition of what a horror film is, but it's definitely a social thriller, if I could call it that. Um, the concept is Daniel Kaluuya's character is dating a white woman played by Allison Williams and she takes him home for the weekend to meet her parents for the first time and she hasn't told them that he's black 
And let's just say from there, shit gets weird, really, really weird. And I watched this movie in theaters uh, with a woman I was dating at the time. And it's one of my favorite theater going experiences ever, just based off Jordan Peele said, when you watch this movie, he wanted you to feel like you're Daniel Kaluuya's character, Chris, in the theater, and you're going through all these things just like him. And that's how I felt, y'all. I really did. I felt like I was him. These people he's encountering at the house are insane. They're saying weird things to him. And then spoiler alert at the end, when he escapes and starts killing them, I'm rooting for him. I'm happy as can be because, I mean, screw those people. They deserved it for what they were trying to do to him. I uh, highly recommend this film to anyone. It's it's genius. Jordan Peele is genius. And I can't wait to watch Nope coming out in July, starring Daniel Kaluuya as well. Looks to be his take on an alien film. What do y'all think of Get Out? Get Out is one of my favorite, um, I'll use your term, social thriller. I like that. Um, that there is it was so good the scene with the tear running down his cheek i mean it was just so perfect the acting probably got him nominated for an oscar right there yeah that was like oh man just beautifully shot i love it so much it made me there for a while there it felt like there were no good i'm gonna use horror movies out um and this one brought it back in like such a powerful full way and it feels so relevant and i think that one's gonna be one of the ones that stands the test of time for sure it was just awesome and yeah i'm, I'm excited to watch this i watched um what is it us. red what oh us us that's right um and it was it was okay it wasn't nearly as good as get out in my opinion but it was it was good too so yeah i'm looking forward to the one in July, our birthday months, just for the record. Absolutely. Zach? Yeah, I don't have to put much that to on add. your calendar. I, I, I love the movie. Um, I thought uh, you said it. I mean, y'all both said it exactly what I would add to say about it. It's it's uh, one of the most eye-opening um, movie experiences I've ever had. Just so good. Uh, Zach, you have our last nominee of the year, uh, a pod alum director, you know, who's been on here a lot of time with some pretty talented actors in that film as well. Why don't you tell us about The Post, Zach? Yeah, The Post, uh, a movie about the Pentagon Papers with uh, Tom Hanks and um, um, oh, I can't remember. Um, Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep. That's right. Um, it's a good movie. It's of course it's uh, it's a Spielberg directed this, I believe. Is that right, Zach? Yes, he did. It's a Spielberg movie. Yeah, that's right. And so it's very economical, right? It's it's uh, it's cut together. It does not drag uh, for a movie that's kind of has a dry subject. Um, but I thought that it was miscastled. I love Tom Hanks and everything, and he does a good job on this movie, but he has not Ben Bradley, in my opinion. Ben Bradley was one of JFK's closest friends and a uh, a playboy and a true newspaper man. I think Hanks gets the newspaper part right, but he was not um, – he just doesn't play Bradley how I envisioned Bradley to be played. It is a good movie. I think that name recognition of the actors and the and the director probably get this a best nom when it may not quite deserve it. But overall, 
an entertaining movie about a historical subject that's a little dry and that kind of bleeds into the to to the presentation of the movie well that was still a pretty good breakdown and i am gonna get around to watching it just because i love spielberg and i love hanks and merrill's one of the goats um we are to the snubs my friends this like i said this is a top um top three year in film for me of the 21st century so we have quite a few snubs i'm gonna let scout lead us off with the film that she i had her watch for the first time for this pod a film that i adore okay yeah the disaster artist don't take a person actually need like five more minutes for lighting no i'm ready now Let's go, let's go, Sandy. Come All right, on. Let's uh, roll. Let's Set. Yeah, we're rolling. Ready. Camera has and action. What line? What did line? I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Okay. Action. What is line? I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Scene 112, take 13. Mark it. Action. I did not hit her. I. Okay, okay. Line. I did, did not hit her. her. It's, it's not true. true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I, I did, did not. not. Oh, hi, Mark. Take 17. Action. I hit her. No. Do you want to change the line? Script is script. Script says same. You're doing great, man. We'll get there. Action. 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 You have to say it loud. I can't hear in here. Say action so I can hear her. Okay. It was really, really funny. It wasn't at all, obviously, what I was expecting. I had I had no idea what to expect the whole time. And I think that was one thing that I found intriguing about it. Normally, I would find that very off-putting. I like to know where something's going. But I just, I loved the way that they did it. And of course, you know, I got right on the IMDb trivia and figured out like that it was based off of this real life insane person and i thought i told zachary i um didn't realize that was at the first like you know four seconds it was panned in on his face i didn't even realize that was james franco he looked so much like that character and um you know just all of it was it had so much you know obviously comedic relief and i really like that i like uh you know a sibling tie to things and i liked that they were siblings and um anyway i thought it was good i um anyway sadly I think james it definitely got snubbed it did sadly it was james franco's you know oh, yes. last movie before he well this came out and then kind of the accusations started coming out about yeah, it and a lot of people it, say that's what led to it being snubbed i'm sure it did um i'm with you i thought he becomes Tommy Wiseau, the character that he's based on in this film. It's hilarious. It's not your typical comedy like you'd expect from them in Pineapple Express. Seth Rogen is in it too. And like, like Scout mentioned, Dave Franco is in it. Thought he gives a great performance. It's just a funny movie about an actual movie that was made, I think back in the early 2000s and just yeah, it was, <laughs> the insanity. Yeah, early 2000s. 
the insanity uh, behind that movie all because of the writer director tommy was played by james franco uh i'm gonna go next with logan uh logan is a james mangold film it's based off the hugh jackman wolverine series but logan was r-rated for once in that universe and man what an incredible film it's it is violent as can be it's gory but Hugh Jackman gives a top-notch performance. Uh, the guy that plays Professor X, his name is Escape. Patrick Stewart gives an unbelievable performance. It's just a brutal film with it's unbelievably well written. Um, I just love this brutal, realistic take on the X-Men franchise and that character. And I yeah, I just thought they did something unique that really stood out in that film. And I it was highly acclaimed, and I, I think you could make a case that it deserves some Oscar recognition. Absolutely, Zach. It's an emotionally devastating movie, to say the least. Um, Zach, why don't you tell us about another superhero movie, though, from that year? A little more lighthearted, but uh, a very fun one, nonetheless. Oh, this is the first Marvel movie that really, really goes all in on Wacko, and that's uh, Thor Ragnarok. And it is very possibly still the funnest Marvel Universe movie that has ever been made. It is just fun from the first scene to the last scene. It's uh there's there's I mean it's it's a it's to me it's what a superhero should be is is uh if you, you can go one direction I mean and, and listen you can go one direction with the with the Logan with the heft I think that there's definitely a place for those but I go into a to a movie that revolves around people with superpowers wanting to have fun. And this movie is fun from the get go. I mean, I just, that's the best way to explain it. I just love this movie. I think, um, YTD is, is anything, anytime that guy does something, it's just going to be nothing but entertaining. I've never seen anything that dude does that is not just unbelievably well done. And, and, there are there is no meat left on the bone. It's always he uses every scrap to make it interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. So just erase all that stuff I said about. Oh, you're fine, man. He's 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 yeah. fantastic, though. I agree, and I would urge our listeners and both of you to check out Our Flag Means Death on HBO Max, his 30 minute pirate comedy show. It is beyond okay, right, beyond funny. Beyond funny. He plays Blackbeard on that show. Um, I have mudbound next which was a netflix film that did get nominated for best cinematography the great uh rachel morrison man this is a, a devastating film it takes place post-world war ii in mississippi you have uh the guy the uh the guy who jason mitchell who played easy e and straight out of compton plays a, a fighter pilot from world war ii who's come home He's one side of the family, along with Rob Morgan and uh, Mary J. Blige playing his parents. And then the, the white family they work for and share crop for is played by Jason Clark. And man, this guy's name always escapes me. He's on Friday Night Lights. He's been in a lot of great movies. I'll think of it shortly. But uh, is it uh, Kyle Chandler? No, the uh, the the movie Friday Night Lights, where Tim McGraw plays his oh. dad. That guy, he he's been in a lot of great. Either way, he's in it as well as Jason Clark's brother, and it's 
it's a great it's it's man it's such a sad movie obviously it's about race relations in that time and between that family and it's also partially a love story i won't spoil the ending um the main issue being the jason clark and his brother's dad is a member of the kkk so that obviously causes quite a conflict in the film uh devastating film but with a somewhat happy ending mudbound i can definitely see why it got some accolades this year and i, I would urge y'all to watch it it's just you know it's a tough watch um yeah Scott, I've, I've, it's oh, on sorry. my short list to see yeah i really want to want to see that as well scout why don't you tell us about a movie uh that we have all seen here on the pod i man i love this movie luke raves about taylor sheridan the director of this movie tell us about this film scout well i probably would would echo whatever luke said too he's i think he's phenomenal i've seen a lot of his stuff that's come out as of late too and it was just i love what he does for um like the you know indigenous community too he has brought a lot of awareness and that's um a huge part of wind river it's about um in an indigenous indigenous girl who um is missing right at first she's just missing and then um these two detectives one of them's um elizabeth olsen and the I, what's the other one's name zach i can't remember jeremy renner yes oh my gosh and anyway they play um cops who are trying to find her and they go to aren't they oil riggers? Yes. They trace this back. It was so there was this girl's boyfriend and they trace it back and they come across this like trailer full of um, like multiple trailers full of like oil riggers. And long story short, I don't know, spoiler alert, it turns out to be one of them who um, another a body, she turns up her, um, she's frozen to death in like some woods near where those trailers were. And so somebody's, um, and then a guy turns up dead as well, um, her boyfriend. And I think it turns out that they not only raped and killed her, but they killed him then to cover it up. And it's just really powerful. Um, that ending shootout, the, right? Golly. Yeah. Yeah. That shootout was like, and also in this movie, I, if I'm remembering correctly, don't they, they don't have a whole lot of like, I always find it even more powerful when movies don't have a whole lot of music in the background it, it's when it's somewhat, just kind of yeah it's plain a, it's, it's a sparse score for sure yeah. the music's Those, powerful but it's yeah it's yeah. sparse for sure it makes the what you're watching like you know sometimes just that much more effective yeah. and and then at the end he has like a facts about indigenous women and the huge problem of you know them being murdered and you know missing and no one does anything and i just he does that um he has yellowstone and 1883 now and they're both i love them both 1883 even more so than than yellowstone but he does great work and i think he's an awesome writer too i i he did scario right he did sicario. yeah, that, yeah. His, so his first three trilogy of films were sicario then he does hell or high water then he does wind river and i think man the for your those being your first three films you wrote golly he knocked it out of the park i i love this movie just like he's Scout. a short king you know yeah yeah and i think I, zach likes this movie as well i this movie for me i think elizabeth olsen gives one of the finest strong female lead character performances i've ever seen obviously 100 
yeah, I mean, Jeremy Renner's good in everything, but she's fantastic in this. She's believable as a badass FBI detective. And then, yeah, the, the spoiler alert, the shootout at the end is just unbelievably devastating and, and realistic. Just a fantastic film, and it's shot on location out there in Wind River, Wyoming. All right, so it looks like... Uh, Zach, I made you watch this film as part of the snub for this pod. Why don't you tell us about this next movie starring one of our favorites, Brad Pitt? Oh, yeah. War Machine. Basically, uh, um, a movie during set during the Obama administration as uh, we change tactics in Afghanistan. Uh, it's based on... Um, it's loosely based on an interview uh, that um, was made to, I believe, was it Vanity Fair? Rolling Stone is what is depicted in the Rolling movie. Rolling Stone. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And, and with what's the general's name? I always mess it up. Mr. Uh, McChrystal. McChrystal. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he takes over and he kind of battles. He, he's this headstrong general that has a different style and he's sent in to like fix Afghanistan and it goes into a how he goes over there with like his his squad almost with the you know it's a bunch of a boys club deal where they're all super masculine he walks like an ape which is so odd but uh brad pitt does great it's very good and then the last third of the movie the last act of the movie is sad uh, it's kind of like what you know it goes so bad over there like taking this America machoism to Afghanistan and expecting it to work after that's what the guy before him did. And that's what the guy before him did, uh, is a failing is a, is a failure. And it really paints the picture that actually there's probably not a lot we're ever going to be able to do to solve that problem with the way we're thinking. And that turned out to be true. It kind of mirrored. I mean, we got out and the Taliban immediately took over, uh, you know, the last, eight months or so and while it doesn't get into that you know it's set 10 years before that it is very much a about the failure of our tactics in afghanistan and the the battle between bureaucracy and the military and it's a good movie um i wouldn't say a great movie but i i did enjoy watching the movie it was it was a very interesting and pitt's really good in it i am glad you kind of came around on it that's brilliant description of it as well i i love the film obviously for pitt's performance and then there's some other it's got a pretty big cast and there's some other guys in there that kind of shine but um i'm going to talk about blade runner 2049 uh denny villeneuve film man uh, of the recent dune uh dune fame arrival um, luke and i have talked about him before on this pod just sicario as well what a great French Canadian director. And I thought, man, with Blade Runner 2049, I think you get Ryan Gosling's best performance. And I think you just, you get a perfect sequel to a film that was truly ahead of its time in in 1982, the, the Ridley Scott original Blade Runner. And yeah, it's, visually this film's outstanding. It, it wins Roger Deakins, his first, uh cinematography oscar which is insane it took him this long to win for this he now has two thanks to this in 1917 um yeah i i just this movie is long i will say that and that turned a lot of people off but for me it's it's a masterpiece uh jared leto's a very 
creepy villain, like always, typical Jared Leto performance. And then the female uh, villain in the film, his henchman per se, she's not a big time actress and hasn't been in a lot, but she gives a pretty menacing performance as well. So I, I love Blade Runner 2049. I, I think it was definitely snubbed this year. Zach, why don't you tell us about Hostiles, a movie I got to watch with you? Yeah, uh, uh, I will say this about Blade Runner. Dinkins' uh, cinematography in that is maybe uh, the best I've ever seen on screen. Uh, the only thing I can think of off the top of my head that may rival it within recent memory would be Dune. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's so good. Uh, I don't really love that movie, but I can watch it every time it comes on because of the cinematography. Um, yeah, Hostiles, basically a new age uh western um that stars christian bale and uh, has a cast of characters um that is about a lawman right after the civil war out in the wild west transferring a a uh um, some indian or native american prisoners to a different location uh back to their homeland or, or or their new reservation and it's just a brutal telling of the wild west uh not it's not your john wayne's wild west anymore it is i mean that's the most brutal western movie i've probably seen and it is a very good about how there were no winners and there were no i mean everybody was a loser in the wild west with the way that the american government handled native americans including us i mean uh the native americans were were decimated we made terrible decisions that made us terrible people and we were decimated by by some of the conflicts we had with them and it's uh every man for itself type of movie i really enjoyed it christian bell's great in it so is um uh, jesse plemons although spoiler alert he doesn't last long <laughs> yeah that's so true such big fans of christian bell's work and especially jesse plemons with the right meteoric rise that he's had that's just a it's like Zach said, it's a brutal Western, but a, a good Western from a great director and Scott Cooper. Um, okay, I, I'm going to finish real quick here with two snubs. Good Time was a Safety Brothers film. They did Uncut Gems with Adam Sandler, a movie I really liked that I'm going to talk about on the 2019 pod. Uh, good Time stars Robert Pattinson. Basically, he's a low life, low level criminal, a wannabe bank robber. His brother paid played by Benny Safdie, one of the directors, uh, has um, some mental disabilities, and he basically cons his brother into helping him rob, rob a bank at the beginning of the film. The bank robbery does not go well, and they're essentially on the run for the rest of the film. It's high-wire, intense-type stuff. Uh, if you've watched Uncut Gems, think that visual style for sure, that editing style. I, I just love their work. I know Zach wasn't as high on Uncut Gems, but for me, man, it, this movie and gems, they kind of put you in a, a certain uh, adrenaline or a certain place emotionally where you're kind of in a heightened anxiety, which, you know, some people don't like living in that. But if I'm watching a movie, it's not as bad for me. And that's what they do. They just put you in that emotional state and they keep you there throughout the movie. So Good Time is one I would highly recommend. It used to be on Netflix. I'm not sure what it's streaming on now. And one I watched for this pod that I've heard is really good. And I mainly watched it because I love Margot Robbie. She's maybe my favorite actress, younger actress. I, Tanya. 
wow it's a craig julipsy film with margot robbie and then um the guy who plays the winter soldier his name's escaping me he's also in the recent pam and tommy show uh it's yeah it's got a decent pretty decent cast oh and also allison janey she wins an oscar for this film margot gets nominated it tells the story of tanya harding the uh, olympic figure skater who with her ex-husband conspired to hurt another skater before i think basically qualifying for the olympics so she could maybe get in and get gold um it's just brilliantly edited a lot of fourth wall breaking a lot of voiceover a lot of narration just a really really cool film have either of y'all saw i tanya by chance i have not seen it highly recommend i, do I have like margot robbie though yeah i have seen it i love the movie it reminded me very much of an adam mckay movie yeah, that's okay. That's kind of what I was thinking too, Zach. Kind of similar editing and how they do dialogue yeah. style. Yeah, just a really cool movie, and she's fantastic in it. Oh yeah, and Janie and uh, mm-hmm. Margot are so so good. They I are. Mean, that, that movie was one of the highlights of of this year. I think. I agree wholeheartedly. Well, y'all, that brings us to our nominees. So we each are going to pick ten nominees from this year. I'll lead us off with my 10. I have Dunkirk, Get Out, Blade Runner 2049, Lady Bird, three, bo- three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. I think Logan deserved a nom. I think Wind River deserved a nom. The Disaster Artist, I, Tanya, and also I have a soft spot for War Machine, so I also gave War Machine a nom. Scout, who are your 10? Okay, I've got three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, Wind River, Get Out, Disaster Artist, Call Me By Your Name, Good Time, Dunkirk, Lady Bird, that's for you, Zachary, War Machine, and Mudbound. Great list. Zach, finish us off here. Yeah, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Blade Runner, Three Billboards, Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Wind River, Thor Ragnarok, even though I explained basically the plot of uh, (laughs) the wrong movie earlier. Okay. Uh, disaster artist, I Tanya, and a wild card here. I love this movie, <laughs> Baby, Baby Driver. Driver. That's yeah. my fault. I didn't realize it came out this year. It's a movie I haven't seen, but our mother raves to me oh, about. It loves is a good it. One. You would like it's it. A, exactly. It's an Edgar Wright yeah, film. Is, You've seen it, Scout? Yeah. Okay, so y'all both seen it. I haven't. Uh, yeah, it is not. There's uh, one that was that way typical uh best oscar fair but i was struggling to figure out what i really wanted to include as my 10th so i I said why not just go with baby driver i get it hey and i it's fun it's a it's a i love the cast man i love the cast it's a shame i haven't got around to watching it honestly it really is you should be ashamed okay (laughs) thank you so thank you okay but all right, y'all, we are down to who we think deserve the award, who we would give best picture to this year. I'll start us off. Um, I think Dunkirk deserved the Oscar for best picture this year. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. It's my award goes to for this year in film. 
like I kind of said, I think Christopher Nolan, he, he's in my top three, if not top, I think top five, maybe top three favorite directors of all time. I adore his films. I think he's a master at his craft. And I think this film really just shows off his skill with really hard subject matter. I mean, pulling off the, the retelling of what happened at Dunkirk is not an easy production and how he told the story and how he edited it together and how he uses practical effects. I just think he he's, it's a masterpiece, not to mention the acting in it too is astounding. So Dunkirk is who I would have given the award to. Okay. I would give my award to get out. That's, that's my choice. I, it was just, I don't know, and I, it feels very appropriate for the moment and like the mm -hmm. year that it came out. The acting was phenomenal. I'm just, I've been kind of reflecting on it since we talked about it. Just the, I loved all of the music in it, not necessarily the score, but the, you know, mm -hmm. um, anyway, just loved it. I'm going to go with Get Out, I think. That was my runner up. <laughs> Finish I off, think Zach. there's only two, yeah, there's only two movies really deserving of the best Oscar award this year, in my opinion, y'all have listed them both. And I ultimately go with Dunkirk. I just think it is a, is a masterclass in filmmaking. It is a complicated subject. It is a complicated idea to pull that story off the way he does. And there are no flaws. Mark, Mark Rylance uh, gives a performance of his life, I think. Uh, the kids in the movie give the performance of their lives. I mean, really, it is it is it is amazing. I mean, from the first opening scene till the very end. Uh, yeah, so I don't see how. I mean, Get Out's a, a worthy would is a worthy pick as well. But uh, I just think Dunkirk. I don't know if he'll ever make a movie as well done as this. Two Nolan, history. And I love buffs. Nolan. Two history buffs. <laughs> yeah, that just it makes sense. That's true, but I tell you, Scout, when you watch it, you're gonna you're gonna understand. I know. It. Like it's man, it's how he pulled it off is something. But yeah, All Clay right, and my dad were just talking about it. It's and just <laughs> the the battle itself and the feat that it is. But anyway, yeah. it do, it doesn't slow down. And the thing is, is there's basically I think there's zero blood in it. No, yeah, it's not no. bloody. Typical no cuss Nolan, words. Not bloody. I mean. Yeah, it, yeah. It just, it's it PG thirteen, and it yep. is the most intense oh, war movie right. you may ever see. Exactly. That's yeah. It, one of the many things about it where you're like, how'd they pull that off? Well, all right, y'all. Next time on the award goes to, we will be breaking down the ninety first Academy Award winner for Best Picture, Green Book, another controversial winner. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Zach King. I'm Zach Holtoff. And I'm Scout Napoles. And we'll see you next time on the In Award Goes To.